This is episode 15 of the Scholar Sage podcast. It's just me today, uh, me on my own. I don't have anybody uh, with me today. It's going to be me discussing um, some important principles related to Qigong um, and internal practice. This is the 15th episode and, uh, well, the last one of this format. So over the last 15 uh, weeks, we've been releasing one of these episodes uh, every Wednesday. I don't know why we chose a Wednesday. Wednesday's a bit of a nondescript day, isn't it? It's like the most boring day of the week, generally. Uh, but we've been releasing them on a Wednesday, these, these 15 episodes, and um, we said we'd do 15. We're not even sure why we did them in the first place. Uh, we just recorded <laughs> a chat between us to see how it goes. Um, and once we had done these 15, we said that we would take stock of it and see what's going on. I have told some people this would be the last one. And actually, the uh, the feedback I got from people is that they really wanted it to uh, carry on, um, or from quite a few people anyway. Uh, we didn't get any <laughs> people saying, thank fuck, it's the last one. So I think what we're going to do is... Um, uh, we will carry them on, but we'll probably do it in another format. We're not sure if we're going to film them yet as well, because a lot of podcasts seem to be recorded, don't they, um, or if, on video, or are we just going to keep them as sound files? We're not sure yet. But what's for sure is that uh, we're going to take a break uh, from doing them, partially because the summer is coming up, and that's that's absolutely my busiest teaching period of the year. So I'll be away in retreats and things like this. So probably um, whatever format these podcasts continue on in, um, this will probably take place after the summer, probably towards the autumn or something uh, like that. If you do have any ideas about what we should do with the podcast, how we should change it, whether we should film it um, to put on YouTube or whether we should just carry on with the sound files, please let us know because I don't have any idea on all this technological stuff. I, I'm not sure. I've I spent all my time <laughs> practicing these arts. I don't really have much idea of uh, what people like with regards to the multimedia formats that they get their information through. So that being said, let's have a look a little bit um, at what I think is probably one of the most important parts of um, Qigong training. Um, and that to me is something called the Yi Jin Jing, uh, which is translated roughly as the muscle or tendon changing classic. So the Yi Jin Jing, um, the muscle tendon changing classic is an important set of principles that most people would associate uh, with Qigong these days. Um, but is also uh, famous for its connection to Shaolin uh, Gong Fu, uh, the martial arts of, of Shaolin Monastery. Um, if you don't know who those are, you've probably seen the Shaolin monks these days. They tend to wear bright orange robes uh, and do Kung Fu demonstrations on stage where they poke mendy spears in each other's throats and eyeballs and kick each other in the testicles for your paying entertainment you know uh, normally very natty sort of nylon orange sort of terrible outfits that i feel they should have modernized somewhere along the line but that's just me but these are the shaolin monks and, and yi jin jing the the tendon changing classic is often um, attributed to them or, or rather attributed to a, an indian monk called uh, bodhidharma uh, or simply dharmo in chinese who went to uh, the shaolin monastery in the sixth century um, according to some historians not all um, but when he went there he was a buddhist monk and he traveled from india uh, across to china and he settled in the monastery after a few adventures um, and basically over a period of time he meditated uh, and i would say contemplated rather than meditated actually because if he's meditating he probably wouldn't have come up with any insights because he'd been residing in jhana but if he, he went away and he contemplated what the monks needed and come back and uh, taught them the yi jin jing muscle tendon changing principles as well as the zhi shui jing or marrow changing um, marrow cleaning uh, 
classic as well. So these two sets of classics, the muscle tendon changing and the marrow washing classics, um, were then left in Shaolin Monastery, according to historians. Um, and then the monks developed this and, and took it further and, and basically uh, transformed their exercises, so the, the Kung Fu they were practicing to create this sort of supercharged superhero version of, of, of fighting that they were, they were practicing. So that's a kind of generally accepted history, but of course there's arguments um, amongst different people. Anything that's historically that far back has arguments, and you, you can't really know the truth because there's always political uh, there's political agendas, especially in China. Like I don't mean to be racist, but it's a it's a terrible country with regards to twisting the truth around politics. I know every single country does. I can. I'm sure, and I, I'm sure every country rewrites its own history, but but China just seems to do it in in kind of real time in front of you. Do you know what I mean? It's like it, it just rewrites whatever it wants, whenever it wants, according to whatever political agenda it might have, um, and they apply this to things that you know to us in the West might seem rather unimportant or trivial, like the history of Kung Fu or the history of Tai Chi, but but to the Chinese government, for some reason, is really important. Uh, fuck knows why. Um, so they'll they'll rewrite the history. I mean, it's strange, isn't it? In the West, you know, imagine if England, we wouldn't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think we'd rewrite the history of the development of football or rugby or something, would we? You know, or the the sort of pastimes or or whatever that came out of our country. But in but in you know, we re rewrite wars and stuff like that to, to make out that we were always the good guys and every other country was the villain and, and that, you know, everything we did was marvellous. But but in China, they'll rewrite the history of everything, including things like Tai Chi and Shaolin and Kung Fu and stuff like that. So uh, Bodhidharma, it's quite likely, I think, that Bodhidharma, um, this Indian monk, had a huge influence on the development of the Yijin Jing. I think that's highly likely. Um, but then what happened was later there was a... a alternate versions of the history where basically the Chinese didn't like the fact that the teachers had come from a, an Indian monk as essentially an Indian monk as a foreigner um, so they, they started attributing it um, to various Chinese uh, people so they're saying the Chinese had created it themselves um, one of these was a sort of um, Song Dynasty uh, uh, General um, Yu Fei um, and Yu Gao, they, they they basically attributed the Yijing. Sorry, I couldn't remember the name for a second there. The history, they they started attributing the development of the classical teachings to these sort of um, semi-mythological Chinese generals and things like that, so they could say that the Chinese developed it. And then the Taoists, of course, they got involved, and there was a particularly a priest named uh, Zhe Ning, um, who they said that probably the, the, the Yijin Jing came from Zuning rather than from Bodhidharma. And, and I think probably there's a little bit of like truth in that there's been an influence from the Taoists upon the Yijin Jing. And certainly the Yijin Jing was absorbed into the Taoist arts later. But whatever the truth, I mean, the history where they try to say the Yijin Jing came from uh, this priest, Taoist priest, was because, again, they were trying to say it didn't come from a foreigner. The Chinese wouldn't have to rely on foreign influence to uh, develop anything as marvelous as the Yijin Jing. So whatever the truth, who knows? Let's go with the um, <laughs> accepted idea that it was developed by Bodhidharma, um, an Indian monk. Bodhidharma, this Indian monk, is um, actually caused me some problems 
over the years, the bastard, and he's been dead for a long time. He caused me all sorts of problems um, because his name's Dharma, often written, which is basically the Chinese transliteration of, of the term Dharma, right, as in teachings, uh, Buddhist teachings. But Dharma is spelled D-A-M-O, Dharma. Um, and my name's Damo, which is short for Damien. Um, and everybody called Damien ends up shortened to Damo, just like everybody called Robert gets shortened to Rob or Bob, and everybody called Stephen gets shortened to Steve. It's, it's just what happens, you know. But I remember being very confused because when I first started studying um, uh, the Chinese arts, I used to pick up books as a young child and a teenager, and I'd be reading through them, and then Dharmo, my name would keep popping up within. And I thought, oh, that's funny. That's a coincidence. I, my name's the same as, shortened version of my name is the same as this monk, but I didn't think anything of it. I didn't care. But fast forward quite a number of years, and I'm teaching on the public scene. And, and the Tai Chi world and the Qigong world is a strange one. It's full of very competitive people always seeking to uh, put down what everyone else is doing, both, mostly for money and ego because they don't want their students to go anywhere else. So they'll try to find things to pick on other teachers about. And, and one of the most common things they pick on me with is that they say I've named myself after Bodhidharma, um, which they know is not true if they use their brain or they do research or well, I think they know, they know, but it, it suits their little lies. They tell themselves, they tell their students that I'm so arrogant, I named myself after Bodhidharma as if I'm trying to make out that I'm this kind of reincarnation of him or something like this. Equivalent of calling myself Jesus or whatever, I don't know, Ganesh. Wouldn't call yourself Ganesh, would you? It's not very flattering, is it? Name yourself after a big fat thing with an elephant for a head. I don't know. But uh, yes, I'm not named after Dharma, it's short for Damien. You know, and, and people know that. They're just using it as an excuse. So, grumbling aside, um, Bodhidharma, when he came across to uh, the Shaolin Monastery, he developed these teachings. Let's go with that version of the history, whatever. And uh, if you actually look at them, um, if, if he was from an Indian tradition, he's almost certainly from a tantric uh, tradition rather than a, a one based more on the sort of um, philosophical or spiritual aspects of the of the Vedic texts. So the tantric the tantric practitioners from India, I keep it simple. Essentially, uh, if you're not too familiar with it, tantra is uh, one path um, of development from within the Indian yogic traditions, a, a form of spiritual cultivation that's very much based in uh, sort of cultivation and control of subtle energies uh, within the body, as Shiva and Shakti. They know them as, and prana and things like this. Um, so nowadays people would associate uh, tantra often with sex, um, tantric sex, which is not really doing tantra justice. In the West we associate, but tantra doesn't actually mean sex. I mean, there were some sexual teachings, but it was a very, very small part of tantra. It's just that sex sells, and it's easy to attach those two terms to each other. But tantra originally meant, um, essentially, these work with these forms of subtle energy and spirit and consciousness within the body that use the body as a vessel and use the subtle energy. So essentially, you could say that qigong, negong, and, and certainly alchemy, Taoist alchemy, had a lot of um, similarities to Indian tantric uh, traditions. A lot of the Tibetan Buddhist stuff at the, um, in some traditions is tantric as well, with a lot of um, visualizations and use of deities to contact that same sort of spirit. So the tantric um, traditions are, are widespread all the way from India through to China, through to Tibet and things like this. And if you look at the 
um, the teachings of Bodhidharma, if he did indeed write the Yijin Jing, and we'll look at what the Yijin Jing says in a minute, it's definitely a tantric text. I mean, certainly when you look at the Zhishui Jing, it's partnered text, the, the Mara washing classic. It's very tantric in nature. And, and if we look at the two texts alongside each other, what you basically have is you have the Yijin Jing, the muscle tendon changing classic, which was the foundation teachings, and it was about how to change your body and transform it as efficiently as possible, so that you could then access the second set of teachings, which was the Mara washing, the Zhishui Jing, which was the consciousness work. So what you have was uh, two sets of teaching, one for the body, one for the the mind. What happened was that the the Yijin Jing, the muscle tendon changing, became mm, not public, like not fully public. Uh, maybe nowadays people know more, but back then it was probably still hidden, you know, hidden in the monasteries, um, but considerably more open, you know. And the Zhishui Jing, the, the Mara washing, was definitely more hidden it was reserved for only the inner door of the inner door of the inner door you know the, the, the creme de la creme of the students the ones who had been initiated into the higher echelons of, of whatever they were doing the equivalent of the 33rd degree freemason well maybe not maybe not that dodgy but you know what i mean people high up within the traditions um so much so that now they say that the Yijin Jing has survived and that the Shichui Jing, the Marawashing classics, didn't survive. Um, that isn't true. They, they did survive. There are clear teachings around them, but they tended to survive still within a very inner door tradition. So, for example, when I encountered these arts, I was taught the Yijin Jing, the muscle tendon changing, but I wasn't taught the Marawashing for a very, very long time, not until I'd been baishered or taken as a disciple of a teacher, um, and then a second one, and, and introduced to the higher aspects of it, and then the Marawashing became... Um, available to me. So it definitely did survive. It just survived in very, very small pockets. What was I talking about? Oh, yes. He's a tantric practitioner. So tantra very much um, believes that the energy of the body needs to be set up in a very specific fashion. Um, and partially the view was this was because the the, the Indian uh, teachings basically say we live in an age of time called the Kali Yuga. If you're not familiar with the Kali Yuga, what it is is there's various sort of cycling eons of time um, that take place within Hindu teachings. And the Kali Yuga is <laughs> essentially the end times of spirituality, not not the end times of the world. I'm not talking apocalyptic or anything like that. Don't have to go and bunker down in the garden with three years worth of tin beans to survive. It's not that kind of apocalyptic thing. You know, it's... Um, it's more it's a spiritual uh, an ending of spirituality so the teachings of the periods of the kali yuga are supposed to be uh, full of exactly what we're seeing today essentially with sort of moral breakdown of society and spiritual teachers that you can't trust because they'll just take your money and abuse the students um, a lack of respect for spiritual teachings and a time where greed and wealth and ever i don't know all these things are, are emphasized essentially what they're discussing is a, an age where people are moving away from spiritual teachings um, and, and the idea is that we're in this Kali Yuga, this period of time, um, and so the, the tantric paths, which in the other periods of time were considered secondary and not really very important compared to the pure uh, search for like unadulterated spirit through stillness, um, in those times Tantra was considered a, a secondary thing, but during the Kali Yuga it was considered the most efficient uh, path for a person because essentially if they could use their body and burn the impurities away essentially and shed the karma of purification of the body it would take them to a state where they could access the higher spiritual teachings and methods that if you were living in an age that wasn't the Kali Yuga you probably would have been able to start at so the idea is during the Kali Yuga if you want to simplify it the idea is you're you're not even on the starting line of the race you're human by base nature and then sort of 
crappiness of the era of the age has meant that you're starting way way back before the starting line in the race and the tantric teachings would get us to that place so we can undo the negative effects of the kali yuga there's been all sorts of scholarly debates as to whether we're actually in the kali yuga and mathematicians try and work out years to say blah, 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 but whatever and they say we're not in but essentially the the indian gurus say that we're in the kali yuga um, and certainly Bodhidharma um, f- would have been of the belief that we were living in that age. So consequently, what happened was he came across um, and he would have shared, He would, if he really wanted the monks to learn, he would have shared teachings of that nature with them. And, and the Yijin Jing and the Zishui Jing certainly do match, uh, if you look at how they work. And I'll, I'll talk about how they work. I'll explain how the Yijin Jing works. Yijin Jing works. I won't have time for the Zishui Jing. Plus, it's supposed to be in a door. I'm always... A, at odds with that like i think people should have access to information but maybe a podcast isn't the most sacred place to do that i'm not sure but Yijin jing i'm happy to explain um and uh definitely it's tantric in nature yeah that's for sure it's funny isn't it how the the hindu belief system yogic beliefs in that we're living in a kali yuga the will end by the way and then a positive age will come in it's not the end of the world you know it just cycles round it just means we're living in an inefficient time for spiritual um work you know too many distractions too many poisons in our food and all that stuff but it's interesting in the western new age thing often they talk about the age of aquarius an age of sort of great spiritual awakening and 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 every time i speak to sort of hippie-ish people uh into sort of you know the mixing of everything everything from angels through to crystals through to whatever they always talk about like an automatic third eye opening that's coming we just need to decalcify our pineal gland and connect with archangel gabriel and the next thing we'll be shooting unicorns out of our asshole and elevating to a higher state and it's all coming the third eye is open there's a spiritual awakening for the human beings bollocks what an absolute load of nonsense like have they like i I'd sometimes think have you, have you have you met the general public like is, is that your perception of them so the, even the the teachings in the the West around spirituality that this is great spiritual awakening coming or whatever we just need to I don't know eat avocados or whatever the fuck we do are considered an aspect of the Kali Yuga the the Kali Yuga the teachings were saying that we couldn't even spot false teachings when they were thrust in our face you know it was it's quite doom and gloom so Tantra was a path to break through this and and the Yijin Jing especially was a was a set of teachings that i believe only my opinion and it's a podcast i'm allowed to share my opinions right it doesn't have to be based in anything surely not um but my opinion uh from my training is that essentially what happens is ejinging are a reflection of this so if they did indeed come from bodhidharma that makes sense to me yeah it makes sense to me because um a lot of the tantric teachings and the ejinging teachings with regards to the body are very very similar so what we probably have is an indian root to those teachings that then in, mixed in along with the buddhism he probably taught the monks and then got mixed in with their their movement arts to create what we know as the muscle tendon changing classic so I'm going to drink this water, and then, I don't know why I felt the need to share that with you, Um, then I'm going to really bring up one of the most important uh, facts for the Yijinjing for the muscle tendon changing, and that is that there are no such exercises as the Yijinjing and the muscle tendon changing, or classically there isn't. That might sound strange, um, because... If you look online or you search on Amazon for books, there's a couple of books on it, or you look at what the the Chinese um, Health Qigong Association are doing or the Chinese Government Sports Association, I don't know, 
Chinese organizations have the most ridiculous, long-winded names, but whatever. If you find the appropriate organization, whatever the hell it is, um, and look at their exercise sets, there is a set of exercises called the Yi Jing Jing, the muscle tendon changing. And I think there's 12 of them, but I might be wrong. And basically they involve bending over and touching your toes and twisting your spine and, and putting your hands out and clenching your fists. They're basically like bad yoga, you know, like yoga, I mean yoga as in asanas, the postures, right? So they're like bad yoga asana if you were completely uncoordinated and stiff and half dead and had rheumatoid arthritis all the way through your body. They're kind of like that, you know. Is that mean? Oh, I didn't mean it to be. Oh, I should go away and slap myself. Yeah, they're, what, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm sort of jesting, but I'm, I'm saying they're basically overly simple stretches and nothing. there's nothing about them, nothing deep. They're stretches mixed with sort of deep breathing practices. They're not the Yi Jing Jing. They really are not. They're, they're basic, they're just stretches. They're stretches based probably on descriptions of old exercises that the Qigong, Health Qigong Association, um, which you're not allowed to say anymore. Remember the term Health Qigong, certainly in Europe and UK, uh, UK has been um, trademarked. So you can't say you do Health Qigong because that's a very specific set of exercises. So I could get sued for this podcast. But um, they are a very specific set of Health Qigong exercises Yi Jing Jing but they're not real they were created in probably the 1960s or 70s maybe even later maybe the 80s who knows um, to align themselves with the Yi Jing Jing but if you actually look at the principles of the Yi Jing Jing they don't match them they really don't match the actual principles of the Yi Jing Jing they're just a set of exercises that have taken that name do they help people that are stiff in the joints and got bad back yeah probably yeah I'm sure they do I mean if you if you look at how a lot of medical qigong works or health qigong works, essentially what you're doing is you gently stretch the body but not force it, and then you move the limbs around and you breathe deeply. I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer, but if you're going to stretch the body gently and breathe deeply, a lot of people are going to find that really helpful. Most people with stress or blood pressure-related issues or hypertension will find that condition gets improved. Most people with breathing difficulties will find they get improved. Most people with bad backs and bad joints will find that improved. If you open the joints, uh, then the body will warm up because blood will flow more and energy will flow more and the nervous system will flow more. So the body will essentially warm up a little bit. So one byproduct of that is for lots of people is the body will not feel the need to insulate itself anymore. So it will start to shed weight um, because weight isn't always just to do with food. It can be to do with protecting yourself from an injury you've had um, or it can be because the body is cold so it wants to insulate itself. So what will happen is you'll lose weight as well. So there's all, all sorts of health benefits from it. But could you get those same health benefits from any random stretching movements with deep breathing exercises? Yes, in my opinion, you probably could, especially if you follow the natural ways that the body moves. It's why people will do like shallow yoga with nothing deep in it or medical qigong that's got no, no internals in it, no yi jing, jing principles, or even like dodgy Shaolin Kung Fu exercises of a low standard and they'll still get the same health benefits because essentially you're stretching and moving the body with deep breathing. So is there anything wrong with any of this? No, not at all. It's helping loads of people. More power to them. Probably helping a lot more people than I am. That's for sure. And everybody deserves to be healthy and comfortable. But is it Qigong? No. No, it's not. No, it's really not. It's not Qigong and it's not internal practice. Is it the Yi Jing Jing? No, it's not. No, most definitely not. Because the Yi Jing Jing, the muscle tendon changing, was not a series of exercises. It was a series of principles. Okay, and that is the 
the most important thing to understand about the engineering is the elephant in the room that people don't even want to talk about quite often um, who understand the Yijingjing is they'll sort of whisper it to me that most of the modern Yijingjing is nonsense but I, I think we need to I think it's a time when all this information is out there where we really need to just sort of look things and sort of say what something is and be blunt about it and the Yijingjing exercises are not real they're a modern creation the Yijingjing are a set of principles that are designed to transform the physical body that's really what it's about that's all, to transform the physical body. So originally the Yijin Jing was probably put into whatever stretchy movements the Shaolin monks did to keep themselves healthy. Probably. So what happened was, I would imagine they'd have a stretching routine, something they did, because they're sitting around all day doing meditation. They must have done something or they've been stiff as hell. So they, especially it's cold. I mean, a Songshan, it's like warm in the summer, but it can be quite sort of damp and cold at certain times. So they would have had a stretching routine. So probably what happened was that uh, Bodhidharma looked at them and went, well, you can make those stretches better if you put these principles into it. So they had to go, bash wallop. Amazing, totally different principles. Everything worked completely differently. Then what happened was they took those principles and they applied them to their Shaolin exercises. as well. And they're like, fuck me. All of a sudden our martial arts are super powered. Thank you, Bodhidharma, for showing us just how efficiently we can transform our body. Then what happened was the Yijin Jing was so successful it became widespread and got absorbed into Qigong as well. So most Qigong systems that are old, not modern ones, but most old Qigong systems incorporated some Yijin Jing in it because they're like, wow, bloody hell, Bodhidharma knows what he's doing. So they took those teachings in and transformed what they were doing on the inside and powered everything up, juiced it all up, you know. Then the Taoists got hold of it, unless you believe the historians who say the Taoists created it, but whatever, I don't care. They got hold of it as well, and they incorporated it into what they do. So even arts like Tai Chi have, and Tai Chi Chuan and Baguazhang have masses of Yijin Jing principles in it. Whether they did originally, who knows? But certainly it got incorporated into their arts. And all of the people I've met who are really good at Tai Chi and Bagua, actually I've met more people good at Tai Chi than I have at Bagua. Bagua is quite hard to find good practitioners. You can find people who move well, but you can't find good actual Bagua practitioners. Quite difficult. But the ones I've met of Tai Chi and Bagua who are really good. Their body is like perfectly attuned according to the Yijin Jing, the muscle tendon changing classic, even if they don't know it or even they don't use those those terms, it's already incorporated into the art. So the Yijin Jing, the muscle tendon changing, just filtered through all of these arts. If you have a traditional system of Qigong, Shaolin, Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Bagua, whatever, doesn't matter, you should already be practicing the Yijin Jing principles to a certain extent. If you don't have the Yijin Jing principles into your exercises, they are not there, then in my opinion they're probably nowhere near as efficient as they could be and, and there's a high chance that actually you're just doing an empty body movement. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's an easy way to tell. You can look at someone, you can see if their body is transformed according to the Yijin Jing. And if it's not, it's probably not moving internally. So, if you look at the key principles of the Yijin Jing, okay, so before I do that, just to let you know my experience with the Yijin So when I was younger, I learned the um, exercises that I was talking about, the exercises that aren't real, the Chinese Government Health Qigong Association, Sports Association, Government Department of Exercise, whatever the hell they call themselves. It'll have some crap name like that that's really long, trust me. I learned those exercises, um, and I used to do them. I learned them alongside all of the other sets, you know, so the Animal Frolics and the Eight Brocade, you know, Baduan Jin, and what the others they do. Yangsheng got, I don't know. There was a, there's a whole series of them as well. I learned all those and I did them. Um, and I, 
I sort of went through them, and at the time I thought they were the engineering, and later I found out they weren't. Um, did they do anything with me? Not for me, not really, because I was quite young and quite stretchy anyway, so I didn't get a lot of benefit from them, but they were quite fun, you know. Maybe if I was a bit older, they'd have been better for me, but I was like 14 or something, so, you know, my body was all right. So then what happened was, uh, later on, I did the Jinjing three more times. I did the Jinjing three more times with different teachers. And these were actually good teachers, you know, knew what they were doing. And uh, two of them were alchemists, and one of them was a Qigong practitioner. Um, and they each had their own interpretation of the Jinjing. Basically, the expression of the Jinjing had similarities, the postures and the movements. But they were different enough that you could call them unique systems. But all three of them had the same principles at their heart because it was the principles that made them the Jinjing. So I went through it with one teacher, which took like oh, a month, yeah, something like that. Maybe just under, it was just under a month. It's like six hours a day for a month or something to go through the process to transform the body. So I did that um, with him. And the body transformed quite a lot, but probably not as well as it could have done. And then a second teacher I went through, and this time the Jinjing was more incorporated into what he did. So it wasn't like an intense month. It was just over a period of years, and, and I improved it. And then the third teacher who taught me the Jinjing, um, basically it became the emphasis what he did for three years. That was the focus of my body transformation work was the Jinjing. Uh, he had a different way of doing it. Um, it was a lot more mobile than the other two teachers who'd been quite static, but still the principles were the same. And these principles were, number one, to help the body regain any lost uh, physical vitality. That's how I would describe it. So the first aim of the Jinjing is to essentially get your energy back. So, especially if you're getting older and you're starting to burn out, the juice is going, there's a bit of snow on the landing pad on the top of the head or whatever, and, and you're sort of getting a bit wrinkly and a bit worn out, and you get to past 35 and you're just tired all the fucking time and you can't understand why. It's life. That's why it is. That's why you're tired. It's life. Then number one was for this, was to regain the physical vitality so your body could sort of function and get its energy back. And certainly that's true. When you know, Even when I was doing the sort of the first attempt, the first time through it, if you like, that sort of 30 days, I think it was just under, maybe it was 28, but whatever, months Jing training. By about week three, it took a while actually, by about week three, week one I felt crap actually. I don't know if I caught a cold at that time or if it purged. I mean, the teacher would say purged. I don't know. It probably was. Um, but I felt like, crap, it really did. But by week three, um, I felt really good, like energized and slept less and, and kind of hyper, kind of like I did when I was younger. And as I've gone through the Yijin Jing, uh, as time goes on, actually, I'm kind of more like that. So I'm a little bit hyper. I've got quite a lot of energy, um, certainly more than most people my age, I think. And I, th uh, not that I'm that old. I know some of you listen to me, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm 39 this year, but I know that's not that old. But uh, lots of people my age are pretty screwed already. They're pretty exhausted. Like They just look wiped out. And I look at some of the people I went to school with. Well, I hope not. I listen to this. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, never mind. I look at some of the people I went to school with, and I wonder how they're going to make it to, like, 50, let alone 60. It's like, woo, you're running on fumes. I don't really understand. But I, I have to say, I don't feel like that. Um, certainly not. I d and even after the Eden Jing that first time through, it definitely re replaced a lot of vitality to the body. Next thing is it um, increases blood flow through the body. And that's pretty standard. Then the third one is it opens the channels of the body. This is the most important thing to understand. We'll look at what that means. Then it strengthens the flow of qi through the body because essentially the channels, they're talking about are physical channels. 
Okay, it's the tendon channels they're talking about. We'll talk about that in a minute. They open up and then the chi can reach further into the body. Um, and then it prepares the body. The last one, the, the fifth idea behind it is it prepares the body for more advanced work involving the marrow and the brain with the marrow washing classic. So let's summarize that. Basically what you have in the Yijing is a way of transforming the inside of the body so that the channels open and the chi flows more and you've got more energy. Basically it's the foundation of how you build your body so that qigong works. Right. So I'm not talking about um, building your body as in Dantian and stuff like that. I'm talking the channel system, like how to open the channels and what the hell does that mean? That's that's what the Yijin Jing is all about. Most of the teachings around the opening of the channel system in the internal arts comes from the Yijin Jing. And I think if people understood the Yijin Jing more, the muscle tendon changing classic, they would understand more about what the channels are and how they open, what it feels like and what it is supposed to mean. Because most people who think they have the channels open actually don't um, and it's just because they don't know what it means when the channels open tai chi falls especially foul of this so let's 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 look at what it means so first of all the Yijin jing uh teachings they basically divide the body up into different parts okay so we have different layers first one is the muscles we know what they are that's the muscles, okay? So they talk about the... Okay, so I know you've got lots of tiny little stabilizer muscles all over the body, but they're talking about the large muscles, so the kind of biceps, triceps, pectorals, all that kind of stuff. The obvious muscles that most people know the names of. You know, the large mobilizer muscles that are on the body that cause your body to move like hinges. That's the first layer, muscles. The next layer is the... Okay, this is going to confuse some people. The tendons. Now, the tendons... We know in the West means the things that attach the muscles to the bones, right? The things that attach uh, the muscles to the bones. Okay, that's the tendons. They're not very elastic, are they? They're kind of snap easy if you do a stupid movement or injure yourself. Um, and they kind of, it seems strange. It, it did always seem strange when I was younger. The, the overemphasis on the tendons, you know, so especially coming into martial arts, you get all these martial arts that are called like iron steel wire martial arts and things like whatever. And, and it's all about developing the tendons. They talk about tendon strength um, in Kung Fu, tendon strength in external Qigong, and tendon, all about tendons, tendon development, you know. And I, I remember thinking when I was young, what the hell is this all about? Why am I developing the tendons so much? Especially as I was doing some praying mantas, Tang Lang Chuan at the time, and it's like, why am I developing the tendons? Then as time went on, I came to realize that they don't mean the tendons. <laughs> Confusing, isn't it? So when the ancient Chinese said the tendons, they didn't mean the tendons, okay? And this is important. For anybody listening to this who does tendon-based work in your martial arts, you're not training the tendons. That was a dynamic pause while I drank some water. Take that in. If you develop the tendons and you are literally thinking, you are developing the things that attach the muscles to the bones, then you're making an error, and I would suggest rethink what you're doing. So... What do they mean when they talk about the tendons in the Chinese arts? They're talking about a quality. That's really what they're talking about. They're talking about a quality of the physical body of everything that's not the bones. So to help you understand this, what I want you to do is take your, well, take one of your arms, take your least favorite arm, my left one, <laughs> either arm, and bend your elbow. Okay, bend your elbow and just tense your uh, bicep a little bit. So you just, look at that manly biceps popping out. Well, actually, mine's not very much. I got little biceps, but bend my arm and I tighten it so the tendons on my inside of my elbow joint, elbow fold, pop up. And what I'm going to do is I just pluck that tendon. I pluck it, right, and just feel what it feels like. It's like a 
thick fibrous band, isn't it? It's really, it's sort of, if you're an acupuncturist, it's very, you know, where you find lung five and things like this, you know, that thick fibrous band. Feel that tendon like it's, it's definitely got a certain quality to it. It's leathery and it's the easiest tendon to feel, I think, or maybe, maybe the ones on the backs of the knees, you know. So now, if you just relax your arm, um, relax your arm and, and, and touch your, your forearm, the fleshy bit on your forearm, just down from the elbow, and feel it and just relax. I want your muscles to be soft, then it's kind of squishy, right? Unless you're someone who stores a lot of habitual tension, your muscles are soft. You can do it on your bicep as long as, like, say, you're not a very tense person and it's nice and soft, right? Then what I do is if I tense that muscle, I tense my forearm or I tense my bicep, when I feel it, it goes hard, it goes solid, okay? Now, Obviously, if you want power in your body and you want a strength, you want to lift something, then the muscles don't want to be totally soft. Because if you try to lift something without engaging any muscles, it can be very, very hard. But if I really tense the muscles, the idea was it blocks the flow of chi. And we'll look at what that means in a minute, literally. So what happens is there's a state halfway between those two, right? Halfway between those two. Where what happens is I take the muscle body of the large muscles and I relax the outside of the muscle body and then I, I develop the inside of my body by stretching and lengthening open the joints and sort of pulling open deep near the bone. It's difficult to describe. It's easier if you could feel my arms while I'm doing it, right? But I try and describe it. So what I do is obviously the muscle on the surface, I want to relax. And the muscle deep near the bone, I want to stretch and open out. And if you look at a lot of the sort of opening of the joints exercises in Chinese martial arts, especially southern martial arts, you can see a lot of this. There's a lot of stretching the fingers. Wing Chun especially, isn't it? Lots of curling of the hands around and lengthening the fingers, like hooking with the wrist. So you're, you're stretching the joints very, very close to the bone. Now, stretching the muscles close to the bone, I mean. So why we're doing this is, if you think about the muscle body being nice and, and thick, right, a nice big lump of flesh right there on your arm, if I pull the fibers deep inside the muscle, they start to pull out like fibrous bands, okay? So because I've done this quite a lot on my body, if I stretch out my muscles in the correct way by opening my joints, if I palpate the muscle, I get a strange feeling. So I palpate the surface and it's soft. It's like my muscle's not even engaged. It's like I'm not even trying. Then what happens if I push deeper into the muscle, deep inside the muscle body on any of the large muscles on my body, what I feel is a series of long, sort of fibrous um, cable-like structures, I suppose they are. It's like deep inside the center of the muscle body, there's these cables. Yeah, And these cables, when I pluck them, I palpate deep through the relaxed surface tissue, and I pluck them, they feel like tendons. They feel just like the tendons on the inside of my elbow. So hopefully that makes sense. So one muscle body, I'll explain it again, one muscle body, outside layers of the muscle body relaxed, inside layers of the muscle body pulled taut and stretched and open, okay? When I pluck the muscles, when I palpate deep inside and pluck the muscles, my muscles feel very similar to that tendon on the inside of the elbow. It's a similar feeling. It's as if the tendon on your inside of the elbow is deep inside the muscle body. So in the Chinese arts, are you developing the tendons? No. No, you're not. They were trying to talk about equality. What you're doing is you're developing the muscles of the body, the muscle tissues, so that they feel like your tendons. Okay? Hopefully that's clear. You're developing the muscles on your body so they feel like the tendons. So even if I go to my pectoral muscles on my chest and I run my fingers side to side across my pectoral muscles, like laterally, 
the outer surface of the pectoral muscles is soft, but underneath, sort of above my ribs, there are fibrous bands within the muscle body that when I stretch and open my body, those fibers pull taut, but the outside of the same muscle body is soft. So it feels like tendons all over. So the muscle tendon changing, there's a reason muscle slash tendon is quite sensible in the translation, is they're not saying you transform the tendons, they're saying you transform the muscles so that they feel a bit like that thing that you palpate on the inside of your elbow that's a tendon. So the Chinese were trying to tell you a quality, not an actual thing. The, to some of you listening, you might go, that's not very important, that's splitting hairs. If you've ever practiced the Chinese arts, especially martial arts, uh, you will know how important that is, that distinction is, and that's really where it's at. That's what they're talking about. That's the tendons. So, muscles, layer one. Step two, tendons, or deeper fibrous bits of the muscle body. That's what they're talking about. So, not where the muscles are attached to the bones. Then we have the jing jin, the sinew channels. So, the sinew channels are pathways of connective tissue and muscle that run in the same location as your, what we call the meridians in Chinese medicine. So, uh, for example, you have a lung channel in Chinese medicine running from your chest down to the tip of your uh, thumb, radial corner of the nail on your thumb. But that's only, it's very thin, the sort of energetics of the channel. But there's a, all of the muscles along that line from the chest to the thumb, um, and actually a bit beyond, it doesn't quite match the channel, but if you think about that for now, that runs along that line is called the... Um, sinew channel uh, the sinews okay so what it means is instead of thinking about isolated muscles that are like stapled onto your bones at the attachment points what they're talking about in the sinew channels is one long line of elastic elasticated connected tissue that runs uh, across your body it's quite similar to the um, big lines you see in tom meyer's anatomy trains work it doesn't run in the same pathways as the anatomy trains work but similar ideas if you if you go on google and type in tom meyer's anatomy trains and do a google image search i haven't done it but i'm sure what you'll find is these quite well-known pictures now of skeletons with like blue long stretched out fibrous bands of muscle across the body and they don't run in the same pathways as the chinese arts but Essentially, they're very similar to what they call the sinew channels in the Chinese, the Jingjin within Chinese medicine and, and Qigong. The view being that you don't have lots of isolated muscles, or you shouldn't have if you move correctly. What you have is long elasticated connective lines of tissues that run in a line through your body and they can conduct mechanical forces and qi and all sorts of things along various lines. These are the sinew channels. So... The idea is that if we look at those three, the muscles, the tendons, the sinew channels. So the muscles means the outer body of the muscles. They must be relaxed. The sinews, uh, sorry, the tendons means the deeper parts of the muscle body. They must be fibrous and pulled taut. And the sinew channels, the jingjin, means that those same things, they're talking about the same thing, remember, the same part of your body. It's still the muscle, but must be elasticated elasticated and, and sort of stretchy. So when I stretch my arm out, it's more like I'm stretching a piece of elastic than I'm than it is anything else. It's not like my I like I have leave levers in my arms, obviously the joints, but when I stretch my arm out, especially if I open my fingers, it's it's almost like long bits of elasticated thick elastic, knicker elastic, pulling from my fingers to the center of the body. So the muscles, the tendons and the sinew channels are actually talking about the same thing, the same location in the body, but they're talking about qualities. Okay, I know I'm being I'm being a bit repetitive on this one. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not boring you to death. I apologize. But let's get this straight. Muscles, tendons, sinew channels, 
same part of the body. They're talking about the same thing. They're talking about the same fleshy bits that are above your bones. They're talking about three qualities. The muscles say the outside layer of this stuff has to be soft. The tendons say the deeper layer of it has to be pulled taut, like it, so it feels like tendons. And the sinew channels mean it must be elasticated and connected together. And the fourth layer you have, have is called the huang in Chinese, the huang. So the huang is translated as, um, what is it translated? Membranes in Chinese medicine. Membranes is in semi-permeable uh, barriers, right? So translated in membranes in Chinese medicine, but it's not quite right in my opinion. Maybe it's membranes, but I think it's a deeper aspect to it. Because the only description we have of the huang in uh, Chinese medicine is that the huang is said to exist, okay, this is a quote in the, from the Nanjing, the huang is said to exist in all of the spaces of the inside of the body, okay? It fills the spaces within the inside of the body and it upholds the organs. That's the description, the huang. So it upholds the organs, as in, when I stand up, all my organs don't, like, I'm vertical, all my organs, like the lungs and the heart, don't collapse in a heap under the force of gravity into the bottom of my abdomen. There's something holding them in place, right? They're not just floating there inside. Something is holding them. That is the huang. So let's look at that description again. The huang exists in all of the spaces on the inside of the body. It fills the spaces on the inside of the body and upholds the organs. Sounds remarkably like the fascia, doesn't it? Remarkably like the fascia. So... I explained to my students that the body is like a sponge, all these sort of fibrous, networky thingamajigs all connected together on the inside like a big network. And that's the huang, that's the membranes. Yeah. Then the other two layers are the bones and the organs, which, okay, that means the bones and the organs. So if we take the bones away and we ignore the organs and we look at everything else inside the body, everything that's fleshy, now we can understand what the Yijin Jing is talking about. It's talking about, okay, so the, the larger outside surface of the fleshy bits of the body wants to be relaxed. The deeper parts of it want to be like cables. Hmm, heard of a saying called steel wrapped in cotton before? Maybe if you practice Tai Chi, maybe like the deeper parts on the inside of the muscle body want to be like steel cables, but the outside like cotton, soft. Then we've got the third quality. Um, is that they, they want to be the sinew channels quality ones, they want to be elasticated and connected together. And then the inside of the body, all of the fascia essentially, if you want, but the, the honeycomb network, the sponge of the body must be connected together as well. That's what the Yi Jin Jing is telling us how to do. So it's identifying those parts. There are the parts for us. Now we need to learn how to build those things. How to build those things. So here are the rules. <laughs> always lists of rules how to transform them number one we have to build them through the chi that was her first teaching we build them through the chi so the chi must be the vehicle for the development of these bits of the body we have to cultivate the physical body in line with the intangible aspects of the body or there will be imbalance that's one of the teachings this is very tantric yoga very, very tantric yoga. This is very similar to a kind of shallow level of Shiva and Shakti relationships. The physical aspect of the body must be developed in line with the intangible. And, and the chi is the vehicle between the tangible and the intangible, if that makes any sense. Next teaching is that the body must be developed in the sequence of chi first, then huang, then tendons. That's really important. That there is the key line of the Yijin Jing, and that is the basis of your internals. You know if you're building your art properly, because it must go qi, then huang, then tendons. That's vital. That's the order. 
If you do it in any other order, Huang first, Qi next, tendons next, tendons first, Qi, it's not the Yijin Jing anymore. You've, you've misunderstood. So the next principle is that Qi is difficult to build, and so is Huang. But one comes from the other, so we build the Qi and allow the Huang to form in the right way. This will then start to develop the tendons. So this is basically talking about the sequence. The qi must mobilize. This is the next principle. The result of the mobilization of the qi is the engagement of the huang. This will strengthen the huang, which serves as a platform for the development of the tendons. <laughs> Wordy, isn't it? One should keep developing the qi until the huang fully stretches and the tendons are strong. So qi, huang, tendons, that's the order. What does this mean? The qi inside the body must be developed and built until it causes the huang to stretch. That's the key. That's the key. So the qi on the inside, the energy, which I've talked about in previous podcasts a little bit, essentially, um, I'm not talking about qi as a process of change, I'm talking about substances. Qi is never used on its own. If the term qi is used on its own, it means a process of transformation. So it has to be defined. And they defined it as yin and yang qi. Yin and yang qi. Yin qi essentially is experienced as a form of magnetic field within the body that shapes the huang. And yang qi is a form of bioelectricity within the body. Now, I should, I should correct myself. Yin qi is not magnetism. Yang qi is not bioelectricity. There are deeper parts to it. But you will feel it as those things. That's what you experience it as in the body. There's a consciousness aspect to qi. But you will feel it as electricity. You will feel it as magnetism. So these two substances, air commas, these two things, yin and yang qi, must be built until it mobilizes enough that it causes the huang to stretch. That there is the basis of qigong, tai chi, and deeper level Shaolin arts. I don't know how many nerds are listening. Well, probably a lot of you. You have to be nerds or you wouldn't put up and listen to me. But uh, in Batman, I like my shallow analogies. In one of the Batman movies, I can't remember which one it is. It was one of the later ones. I'm not talking about the Adam West sort of shit from the 70s or 60s, whatever it was. But in one of the later Batman films, um, there's a scene where Batman is, is running along and, I don't know, someone attacks him with a flamethrower or an exploding clockwork penguin or whatever the fuck it is. And he, what he does to defend himself is he throws himself on the floor and he throws his cape over his head like a kid hiding under a blanket. And then what he does, he presses a button on the bat belt and uh, a light electrical current is passed through the cape and the result is the cape goes stiff and solid. So it's really solid, so he's protected and the explosive clockwork penguin or flamethrower, whatever, his bounces off and can't hurt him. Then he turns off the electrical current and his cape goes back to normal and it's flexible and he can move again. So by passing the electricity through the cape, it goes really, really solid. Now, I wouldn't remember that. I don't care. It's not very important. Apart from when I first saw that scene, I thought, whoa, that's like the Yijin Jing. Batman knows the Yijin Jing, or rather... His technology was like the Eugene Jing. There's probably a word for that when something is electrically, um, there must be something in science it's based on. So when you pass an electrical current through the object, electrical, the the sub the object goes solid, goes very, very stiff. And when you take the electrical current out, the, the object goes back to being malleable again. I don't know the word, but if you do, please let me know in one of the comments because essentially that's what I'm talking about. Now, the Yijin Jing works the same. So what happens is I build enough energy within the body, which happens on a cellular level and, and happens from your breath and happens from the Dantian, the building in the battery and absorbing the Qi and all that. That basically happens with Qigong, right? 
And what happens is there's not enough chi inside your body at first. Uh, it's like the electrical level is too low. And then you build it, build it, build it, build it, build it. And when there's enough, what happens is it mobilizes into the huang. And then like Batman's cape, it electrocutes it and it all goes solid. So your huang, your honeycomb network that fills the spaces inside the body and upholds the organ will suddenly go and go taut and engage. And all of a sudden that sort of malleable fascia goes bang and goes sort of hard and, and sort of quite rigid and it feels like a pressure pushing from the inside of the body out it's like your whole body fills and swells it's physical it's not just like a subtle energetic feeling of something moving and i'm not sure if it's that it's like boom your whole body opens up your ribs open and everything like that in tai chi and qigong they use the same term for it they call it filling filling because it feels like your body is filling filling up with something because all of a sudden the spaces inside your body go and they engage and all of those tenderness sort of no not tenderness they scratch that uh, honeycomb network fibers of the huang just go taut and they push your whole body out and you and i can see it in the body of someone who's really training correctly according to the yijin jing because even in the photos of old masters in black and white when they're all dressed all dapper in those sort of suits from the 30s or 20s or whatever and you look at photos of them in, in black and white and you can see you can see the filling in their body it's like they're popped up it's like they're inflated it's like someone stuck a hose pipe up their ass and <laughs> blown in it and inflated them from the inside and sometimes it's food all right admittedly but well no like you can see food can't you you know when someone's eating too much because they look a bit podgy and a bit fat and it's all based around the belly but when you see someone who's inflated from the inside by the huang it's like the whole body even like the muscles on the neck and the spaces and the ribs it's like it's pushed out and inflated and, and if you push on someone's flesh who's done this a lot of this they built enough chi that engages the huang it's like something's pushing back it's like pushing on a really highly inflated balloon that's pushing back it's buoyant you know and this is what's happening is the chi is built to enough level that the huang mobilizes and it goes bang the electrical current of the yang chi pushes this huang out i'm getting very excited now i'll take a drink and calm down i apologize it's a bit weird, isn't it, when you're sat in a room on your own, getting overexcited, talking about... That is nerdy, talking about the Yijin Jing and getting excited on me. There's no one to talk to. There's no feedback. There's no one here. I sat in a room on my own getting excited about the Yijin Jing. That's bad. The only thing worse than that is if I got this excited of a train spine. Uh, where was I? Yes. So... The chi builds and pushes the huang out and inflates the body and fills it up. So this is the first step in the Yijin Jing. So basically, if you want to know like how to develop in Qigong and you want to do more than just the exercises and sort of chill out and breathe a bit, you know, and you actually want to develop the body, you have to use whatever method you have, breathing or dantian work, whatever it is in your system, to build enough chi that the huang gets electrocuted into a solid shape whatever that shape means like batman's cape so the whole of the inside of the body pushes and fills from the inside out it'll open the hips open the ribs open the shoulders open the joints like it's like you inflate right like the michelin man who's a sort of fat tire based cartoon character in the uk if you don't know who that is but you know, the stay puff man marshmallow man from the ghostbusters like you push out from the inside and you get inflated then the huang stage is done that is good. You've got enough chi to mobilize the huang. If you haven't got there in your arts, you haven't got enough chi, so you need to keep building chi. That's that's it. That's that's the teachings of the Yijin Jing. You don't have enough chi, keep going till the huang stretches out. The health side of this is marvelous because the beauty of the huang and the beauty of it. Blah, blah, blah. I spoke a bit like a slob there. The beauty of the huang is it fills all the spaces of the body and upholds the organs and also like the fascia. 
it is the fascia. It penetrates into the center of the organs as well. So all of a sudden, all this energy that you're building can reach the organs. So the heart, the lungs, the liver, get, all of a sudden the chi can conduct through this like pulled taut, elasticated, filled up honeycomb network and reach the organs and tonify them. So that's why your vitality goes up because your organs suddenly start receiving more of this energy. Whereas previously as you aged and you your hand got slack and saggy and gravity undid all the bindings and stuff like that in the inside, then you weren't receiving as much of this sort of yang stimulation to the organs, so they all started to break down and become deficient. So now when I fire it all up, boom, all the chi can reach into the organs, and there's your vitality aspect of the Yijin Jing, right? Now, the next bit. The tendons, or the deeper parts of the muscle bodies, Okay. Remember, we don't mean the tendons. That's a big misunderstanding. If you listen to this and you've done 30 years of developing the tendons and thought you were developing the tendons, I have two things to say to you. One, I apologize um, for bluntly saying that you've been doing it wrong. It's a misunderstanding. And two, the second thing is if you don't believe me uh, and you like that thing in your brain's going, no, this guy's talking shit, please go away and think about it for a few days and consider it. Don't, don't react do you know what I mean? It's not that I, like, re, like that's what happens. Sometimes you'll hear something you disagree with and you'll react. I do it. You'll hear, no, bollocks, because that disagrees with what I think. Fuck. It's like the mind rebels and I refuse to accept it. But then what happens, I go away for a few days and I think about it and I go, oh, nuts. Yeah, that's right. I'm wrong, aren't I? Oh, Jesus, I better change what I'm thinking. But sadly, some people don't go through that. I've noticed some people don't go through that stage of reconsidering something. So I think if you hear something that's like, inflammatory to you and you disagree and it's not what your grandmaster told you go away and have a think about it because maybe you'll come to the conclusion that it's wrong and actually yes all these stretches are for building the tendons the things that attach the muscles to the bones you've got nice strong joints or whatever and and basically you've wasted no time other than just giving it some consideration and then actually because you've considered and disagreed with me your own conclusions will be stronger and your understanding will go up but then the other option is you go away and you think about it and go fuck he's right and you stop it stops you wasting more time and you can redirect what you're doing and and, and that can be really beneficial so don't just rebel and and you know, sort of think oh just because it disagrees like consider it if you want to disagree afterwards fine disagree no problem but do give it some thought I try to do that with everything. If, if I hear something politically or, or technically, it doesn't matter what it is, and I disagree with it, I have to go in and think about it, because I might be wrong. It happens occasionally. <laughs> so, don't tell my wife. I never let her know I'm wrong. Never. Never. I never live it down. So, uh, I'm lucky. She doesn't listen to these. I can say what I want. My wife doesn't listen to these, which, um, obviously not. It'd be weird. Wouldn't it? It'd be odd. She listens to me all day. Like the poor woman has to put up with my ramblings constantly. Uh, so she wouldn't want to listen to me in recordings either. But it means I've got carte blanche to say whatever I like on here. Please don't tell my wife what I said. So, <laughs> I build the huang. And then what happens is the huang pushes into the tendons. Yeah, it pushes into the tendons. That's the next part. So the, the chi builds up, the huang goes toward, and then it pushes into the tendons. So what does that mean? Does it mean it pushes into the thing on the joints? No. It means that the, the, the honeycomb network that fills the spaces in the body starts to push from underneath into the deeper parts of the muscle body, and the inside of the muscle body starts to expand, and the inside of the muscle body starts to go very, very tensile and very, very strong and very, very taut. So the inside becomes like cables. Are like steel wrapped in the cotton of the softer bits of the outside of the muscle body. It means that when you relax your arms, they become very, very heavy because the deeper bits of the muscle body are, are, are like engaged and pulled. 
Did I engage and pull the tendons by physically stretching them? No. I engaged and pulled the deeper parts of the muscle body, the tendons, by mobilizing the qi into the huang, until the huang built in, and the huang pushed into the tendons. The result is that my body will get very, very strong. So people are often surprised if they either, like, wrestle with me, man stuff, you know, like grappling, which might sound a bit odd, isn't it, if you're not into martial arts, but if, if I wrestle with someone, uh, or I arm wrestle, even just an arm wrestle, or something like that, I don't carry a lot of muscle, I've got nice skinny arms, like a, a sort of inbred ape, or something like that, you know, I don't carry a lot of mass, but I'm very, very strong, I'm very, very strong, and people are very, very shocked when they grapple with me, or arm wrestle with me, or, or ground fight with me, or something like that, in sort of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they're always surprised at how strong I am. But part of the reason I'm so strong is because, okay, excuse the pseudoscience, but this is what it feels like, I might be wrong, is even though the outer part of the muscles, the big bulgy bits of my muscle bodies aren't bulged, so they're, they're very relaxed and look quite sort of flaccid and pathetic, like I'm wasting away. <laughs> the deeper parts of my muscle bodies are pulled like tendons, okay? Meaning that they're very, very strong on the inside. You give me a great deal of physical strength. But I didn't build that strength by pumping weights and lifting things and, I don't know, flipping tires or whatever the hell you do, CrossFit and all that sort of faddy nonsense that'll fade away at some point. Tough mudder if you want to look like you're covered in shit constantly, whatever it is people do. I did it by uh, following the principles of the Indian I did some exercise, of course. Otherwise, you get unhealthy. I like to run. But um, I did it by building the chi until it got so much that it pushed into the huang and then pushed into the deeper bits of the muscle body. So it's like the inside of your muscles are pushed from the inside out, if that makes any sense. So instead of building them by compressing them, I'm pushing them from the inside out until the inside of the muscle body swells up. And then when I palpate them, I get soft on the outside, but the inside is like, air commas, tendons. Okay. Then what happens? Keeps going, doesn't it? There's nothing to do. You just keep going, right? You just keep going. You just keep building the chi. It's not like you go, right, I've done the tendons. What do I do next? Just keep going. If you have a traditional system of qigong, you already know what to do. You just have to invest the fucking hours in and in and in, hours and hours and hours. It's not a fast process. You've got to put more in. And you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And then what happens is the tendons will start to tendons. You know what I mean? The inside of the muscle body start to connect together and elasticate so that then when you when I stretch my arm, if I, if I like slowly move my arm away from me, allowing the chi to move into the arm, I only have to like start moving. It already feels stretched. It's like it's pulling, it's elasticated, and it's starting to pull and stretch through the body. And now the sinew channels are being built. That's what it means. So the, the inside of the body fills with chi, and then it stretches and inflates, and then the inside of the muscle body gets really tensile and strong, and then it starts to connect together and elasticate, that is the process of the Yijin Jing, and that is the um, development of the... <laughs> I've forgotten. Qi to the huang, to the tendons, to the sinew channels, you could argue then to the muscles, I suppose, because then the muscles actually have this quality of the tendons on the inside. But I guess why they don't highlight muscles much is because they're trying to say you don't build the muscles in a standard compressive bulking them kind of way like a bodybuilder would. <sighs> Hopefully that's clear. Hopefully that's clear. Right, so that's the basis of the Yijin Jing. That's the basis of the Yijin Jing, right, is, is to do that. So that your body transforms from the inside out. And if you can think about it, right, if you think about like how tough, think about like, have you ever known like a really, um, like a hydraulic pipe or, or a fireman's hose when it's really full of water? Not your garden hose, but like a proper one, you know, like I remember the bouncy castles, 
when you're a kid and they have these big tubes where they sort of pump the air into it to inflate them or whatever. And if you ever try and bend those tubes, you can't. It's like so much air pressure in there, you can't bend them. And that's essentially uh, what's going on in, on the inside of the body. Well, it's not literally, it's not hydraulic, but it feels like that on the inside of the body because you're inflated with qi, the sort of energy that you convert into sort of bioelectricity that conducts into the huang that makes it all tensile. So you can't bend it. And that's where the power comes from. And this is why the power in qigong um, and the power in Shaolin Kung Fu, why they have all the strengths from the or should have, um, and Tai Chi and things like that. See, it's the same. It's the same mechanism. You build the Chi to build the body from the inside. It's also the basis of why all of the internal arts, whether they specifically said I Jin Jing or not, they all talked about standing practice and breathing and sinking the Chi and absorbing the mind into the body to build. And why they said, don't build the outside muscle bodies, just keep going on the inside. You've got to have faith, you've got to have trust, because it might feel like you're getting weaker, but you just don't have enough chi yet. Keep going, and the inside of the body will build, because they're teaching you the Yi Jin Jing. And if you don't have the Yi Jin Jing, your body will never develop in the right way for the arts. Going full circle back to where I started, this is why the British Health Qigong, Chinese Health Qigong, American Health Qigong, whatever they're called, Association, Chinese Health, that was the country I'm looking for. <laughs> I knew. Chinese Health Qigong Association, Yi Jin Jing, are not the Yi Jin Jing. They are just a series of stretches because they do not adhere to these principles. It is not qi, huang, uh, tendons, sinew channels, arguably muscles. It's not following that process. They're not building the body from the inside. Now, if we look at the channels in Qigong, right, the channels in Qigong, the channels in Qigong do not literally mean, uh, you know, the lung channel and the heart channel and things like this. It's not what it means. So it doesn't mean there's one line of magical energy that runs from here to here. The channels, in, that's acupuncture, which is true in acupuncture, but in Qigong, what they're referring to is the conductive quality of all of these layers in the body, from the huang to the sinews to the muscles, to blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that your whole body can conduct energy in and out. If you think about it, right, you've got this honeycomb network, and all this energy is flowing around inside it. If the honeycomb network, the honeycomb network, tongue twister, is disconnected or blocked, or there's adhesions in the tissues or fibers across and stuff like that, what you get is blockages because the energy can't get to that area. So to open the channels, what they mean is the whole body must radiate with energy. So all of the connected tissues must be elasticated and pulled and connected together under the process of the Yijin Jing. So you're one big radiating, glowing ball of energy and vitality. That's what they mean. That's why they say at the higher levels in Qigong, at the higher levels, there's no channels. You are one big channel. And lots of people get really confused by that phrase, and they've heard it if they go deep into Qigong. No channels on one big channel. That sounds deep. Like it's like some spiritual thing that extends down through the heavens, like I'm a giant Chong Mai, like I'm sort of in close encounters of the third Kai getting beamed up by the UFO, and I'm stood there in this beam of light. No, it means the whole body conducts the Qi all over, so this energy can radiate from the deepest bits of your viscera right the way out to the skin and it's like your whole honeycomb network can conduct this chi and that brings you loads of vitality you now have lots and lots of energy moving through the whole channels this is how the Yijin Jing opens the channel system why it's so good for your health okay this is why the most profound health benefits come from that and i don't mean the health benefits as in lowers your blood pressure and enables you to relax all that stuff that's still really very important and mobilize the joints and increases your lymphatic flow whatever the hell that means or your blood flow like sure those things are important but it's not the higher level health of like pure sort of energy from the Dantian radiating in and out through the whole system like you can get from the Yijin Jing practice. If you look at all the things that came from the Yijin Jing, the adjunct practices that came later, if you pick up Yijin Jing books, right, 
what you'll see is a lot of stuff that came later, including like massage techniques and, and rolling steel balls over your body, which isn't very nice actually, between your ribs and over the muscles and like rolling pins, you work on the muscles and you sort of loosen it all up. And, and even testicle patting exercises for men, obviously. That might sound strange, but there are Yijinjing testicle patting exercises. <laughs> They're quite complex and feel rather nice if you give them a go. Now, neither of these were originally Yijinjing, but let's see where they came from. Well, first of all, the massaging with steel balls and rolling pins and massaging the tissues. It's to break up adhesions in the tissues so that when so that when the qi mobilizes into the huang, the adhesions are gone so that it can connect together. Because if you imagine the qi moving into this honeycomb network, but there's a blockage, it's an adhesion. It can't get into the area, so it can't inflate. It's stuck, so the tissues have to have all that tension broken down. That's why they introduced the steel ball rolling on the body and the massage and hitting yourself with a wire brush is the other one it's just to take away adhesions people try and make out there's something deep like you're like pushing chi deep into the secret special channels of marvelousness but no you're breaking up the adhesions in the body so that the yijinjing huang sinew muscle tendon connecting process can take place more smoothly then the testicle patting what's that about well actually it's absorbed from alchemy because um if you understand much about ancient Chinese beliefs, they talk about jing, qi, shen, essence, energy, spirit. And in order for there to be enough energy, there has to be enough essence. So the testicle patting, which I think is of minimal usage, no matter how many times you might like to justify it, oh yes, the testicle patting is definitely very important. No, it's not. It might feel good, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't matter who you get to do it. It's still not important because but what they were talking about was essentially uh, developing the essence and the jing, so you had more of it, so you could produce more qi. Um, yeah, sure, maybe, but there's other ways to build energy that are more effective. Yes, moderation of sexual activity is a good idea while you're building the energy, but patting your testicles ain't going to cut it. You need to know how to build qi in the dantian. So the Yijinjing largely talked about this, right? For the, the marrow washing classic, the marrow means the marrow in the bones, but also means inside the brain as well. They don't literally mean like the red and white blood cell factories. I've seen a books, I've seen a couple of books actually, some more than one that talk about like the marrow washing being about producing more red and white blood cells or whatever in the bone marrow. Um, that's not really, that's a misunderstanding. It's got the marrow in uh, Chinese thought. I know it sounds odd, but it's old. Chinese thought was said to bro grow into the brain. So the brain was an aspect of the marrow. So essentially, because it's growing into the brain, the idea was um, that it's the spiritual development thing. So the Yijinjing, the muscle tendon change for this body to build your vehicle. And then the marrow washing classing is for spiritual development because the spirit was said to, um, the sort of Shen was said to reside in the middle of the brain. So what they did was they essentially connected to the body together with Yijinjing until the Huang not only like connected up and inflated and pushed into the organs, but it also pushed into the bones, right? And they've even found that your fascia, I believe, extends into the center of the bones. It's like interwoven through the sort of cells of the bones. Quite amazing, really. Look at that. So it meant that at deeper levels, the qi could conduct uh, through the huang into the bones themselves. And the result of that is actually your bones get very, very hot and they feel quite sort of statically charged afterwards. It's a weird feeling on the inside of the body. And when the qi could get to that depth, it meant you were ready for the next stage, which is the marrow washing class. It was a way of mobilizing the energy um, and squeezing it essentially within the bones until it started to move up into the brain to open up those bits of the brain that enabled you to find the shen and 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 go to higher places right or whatever the fuck that means you know to the, the spiritual heights of marvelousness 
So this is why the Yijin Jing and the Zhishu Jing match the tantric path quite a lot, because I know not identical and tantric yoga practitioner probably listeners go, no, it's not the same. But there's definitely similarities. I mean, you can, you can see the influence from some Hindu traditions, yogic tantric traditions on this, because this is how they were using these two classical texts. But you couldn't do the Zhishu Jing, the marrow washing classic, until you had done the Yijin Jing. The body had to be developed, otherwise it was a waste of time. So just like the Yijin Jing is not um, the exercises that you commonly see, the stretching and things like that, it's a set of principles. The marrow washing classic is not hitting yourself with a wire brush or building red and white blood cells or imagining things in the bone marrow. It's not what it's talking about. It's a system of spiritual development. And if you want to see where it exists, Taoist alchemy, um, alchemical meditation, absorbed a lot of the principles of the marrow washing classic. Um, although not Taoist in origin, probably. They did absorb a lot of the Marawashian teachings into alchemy, and it all exists right there. Just like Qigong has a lot of the Yijin Jing, alchemy has a lot of the Marawashian. Um, and if you look at like the Jing to Qijin conversion within the Nantians, the Marawashian is very closely linked to it. And it's part of the reason within the Taoist traditions, it wasn't the original case, but in later development, they said that a person had to practice Qigong or Neigong to a very high level before they should bother engaging with alchemy because the body wasn't prepared. Essentially, they hadn't finished Yijin Jing. They hadn't filled the channels, they inflated the body, hadn't got the chi to radiate in and out, so therefore the alchemy was kind of useless because they weren't ready for the marrow washing classic. Okay. So, testicle patting, beating yourself with a wire brush, and whatever the hell other things people do, imagine red and white blood cells and having sex with numerous people while upholding your perineum and sucking jing into your brain are not the marrow washing classic. They are misunderstandings, definitely. The last part of the Yijin Jing, really, teachings, talks about errors i won't talk too much it's quite long now it says one hour 15 i think something like that and i'm on my own it's a rule isn't it if you talk for an hour and 15 you're okay if it gets to two hours and you're on your own talking to yourself that's a bit sad isn't it it's a bit like you've got no mates and your self-esteem is dropping plummeting so i can't talk for too long i should go find some friends <laughs> errors in yijin jing number one muscle strengthening that's the first error Sound doesn't sound like an error, does it? Like, you want strong muscles. Um, if you don't have strong muscles, you don't have good muscles, and you're weak, you know, you do need some strength. But what they're talking about is um, uh, the error for the Yijin Jing is building the muscles in the conventional sense. So the view was that if you... The Yijin Jing is from inside out, right? You build the chi till it pushes into the huang, pushes in the tendons, pushes into the muscle. So it's sort of inside out. You're inflating the body from the inside. Muscle building in the conventional sense, weight lifting and throwing medicine balls to each other and all that kind of stuff, was considered the wrong way because you're building it from the outside in. Outside in. That includes kettlebells, by the way. There's a whole movement towards including kettlebells in Qigong right now, and I don't really understand why because they're not related. And actually, kettlebells, um, from what I've seen, the people who use them alongside Qigong actually develop the body in the wrong way because of the tugging, sort of pulling quality on it. And actually, I wouldn't. You're better off with compressive weights than you are about than kettlebells. So really rethink your kettlebells if you're doing it with the internal arts. Um, Maybe I'll talk about that another time, but I don't want to go into it too much, but try and avoid those. But those kind of muscle building exercises from the outside essentially constricted the outside of the muscles, the surface of it, so that the deeper parts that become the air codes, tendons, couldn't be developed. So they, classically they said it trapped the chi, you know, but rather it was like you were building the wrong part of the muscle and the wrong quality, so the Yijin Jin could not take place. This is why they said, and this is why classically you get most Qigong and Tai Chi people when they get to a certain stage, say don't do bodybuilding or weightlifting because it will 
damage your qigong and tai chi and, and lots of people will hear this uh, will hear that phrase normally and they go no bollocks i want to lift weights and do tai chi so here's my take on it if you don't have an authentic method of tai chi qigong and yin jinjing and tendon changing lift weights or do exercise for fuck's sake you'll need some physical strength because if you just keep relaxing and relaxing and relaxing and don't build the body you'll get sick but if you do have an authentic method of building the body from the inside you don't need the weights because now you have an authentic system that will build your body and, and actually um, it will be better for you. You can actually use weights later. Some people don't realize this. Once you've done the Yijinjing and you've converted the body over, because it does have a finite end to it, and you're at a stage where you can start working on the marrow washing, then you can go back to conventional compressive exercise if you want to, because the bed underneath, you can't do too much, but the bed underneath is already in place, so you can't damage it. Uh, but it's all about timing. Those are the kind of things you want to listen to your teacher for, if your teacher is any good. <laughs> you will listen to your teacher for advice on the timings of it. So if you build the muscles from the outside, it develops a kind of sickness called sangong, according to the Chinese, meaning dispersal of skill, meaning that at a later age, when your muscles break down, your qi will disperse and you lose your strength. So this is like the majority of people, it's easier to build muscle when you're young, and when you get older, you lose the muscle. Now, everybody always points to exceptions. Of course there are, there's exceptions. But people use the exceptions to refer to the rule and that's not the case so while there might be those occasional old men who look like ripped muscly strong people who are still really healthy they are the exception the majority of people as they get older their muscle mass breaks down um, and that is sangong um, so like i say there are exceptions of course there are you know there's old men that look ripped but there's not many of them um, most people it breaks down and it's sort of they get fat don't they and all gets a bit saggy as you get older and uh, sort of old bodybuilder often gets a bit podgy and this would be an aspect of sangong the chi is dispersed the view being that if you build the body from the inside out um, your chi doesn't break down as you get older if you know how to develop it so it will last into older age so muscle building was considered an error in the yijin jing the second error of, of four there when i talk about errors i have to talk about four um, because uh, four is like an unlucky number of death in chinese so they always tend to list positive things in threes or fives and negative things in fours just for a bit of trivia for you. So the second error is tendon strengthening, <laughs> meaning literal tendon strengthening. So here, they're meaning like iron wire type stuff and where you're stretching and pulling and you're building the tendons without building the chi. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to build the deepest parts of the muscle body, but you're not doing it through chi, you're doing it through physical exercise. Essentially, this was considered a false practice because it's not built in chi. All it will do is it'll make your body very brittle and very very tight so we're just trying to build those tendons build those tendons build those tendons but you're not doing it under the action of chi the chi is not inflating the huang and then inflating the huang is not pushing into the tendons then actually you create in chinese medicine uh, chi stagnation and blood deficiency within the body if you don't know what that is go look that up on google look up conditions of the liver and that's what will happen if you start trying to build the tendons without the chi being there it's why all chinese art should have had effective qigong alongside it all chinese martial arts so you didn't build the tendons without the chi the next error, error three, is huang strengthening or huang stretching without the qi. So this is a lot of soft mobilization of the inside out. Essentially, it's the same as tendon strengthening. If you try to build one of these layers on the inside without you doing it through qi, then essentially you'll create a false version of the practice and it will break down. You know, it will cause problems. So basically, the three errors, aren't they? Muscle, tendon, and huang strengthening what well, they're all saying the same thing they're just implying that if it's not done act under the action of qi it's not the actual yijin jing so the basis of the yijin jing isn't stretching your body and bending over and touching your toes and opening the joints not that there's anything wrong with those things they're just not the yijin jing 
the actual Yi Jingjing proper is based on the building of Qi. That's it. Because the Qi has to be there to avoid the three errors of building the muscles, the tendons, or the Huang without the Qi as a foundation. The fourth error <laughs> is not knowing how to build Qi. That is listed as the fourth error. If you don't know how to build the Qi, then the Yi Jingjing can't work. And this is why any authentic Qigong system and Yi Jingjing system must begin with how to build Qi. That's what it must begin with. And I'll leave it there. Uh, I think that's enough. This has been a discussion of the Yi Jin Jing. I don't want to go into the Yi Shui Jing. Like I say, it seems a bit inappropriate for podcasts, and I don't think it matters anyway. I just want to talk about the muscle tendon changing classic, that core principle, just because I think it's really important for Qigong and Tai Chi and Kung Fu at the higher levels as well. Um, I also think it's a fascinating process and if you ever find someone can actually show you how to go through it and I'm not selling myself I'm really not I don't want more students please I'm stressed enough as it is looking after the ones I got go find another teacher who knows how to do it <laughs> but if you if you can find a teacher who knows how to do the Yi Jing it's like the most profound thing uh, for your practice it really is um, it can transform everything and I think if more people understood what the Yi Jing was um then they would benefit a great deal. And that's why I want to talk about it and why I wanted to conclude the 15th podcast in our series of 15, series one of the Scholar Sage podcast with that subject. So there we go. Hopefully these 15 podcasts have been helpful to you in some way, maybe a little bit mad, a little bit crazy, a bit of a window into the inner workings of the mind of me and a couple of people that have been on the podcast with me, like uh, Jason, you may know him as a man who has the most annoying laugh in the world, a bit like Sid James on acid. Uh, and Rob, who obviously comes along for most of the Chinese uh, medicine podcasts as well. Thank you to those two for helping us on the 15 episodes. Like I say, we're not going to finish with these 15. Like this won't be the end of the podcast, but it might pick it for a different format. And certainly we're going to have a break from them for a while. I'm going to have a break over the summer because I've got lots of retreats coming up. i got a two-week long retreat on meditation to teach with 100 people and and then I got a week of uh, Nagong with another 80. I don't know. It's a real headache. And then I then I get a little break. And then I got, another, I don't know, another one. It's my busiest period. It's like the whole school comes together. So I will need a break from doing these. So thank you very much. This is episode 15. 